Good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. St. John Paul II uh, tried to lift our eyes to a vision of a civilization of love. Uh, many of us, however, will settle for uh, even a civilization of decent order, uh, given how chaotic things seem to have been. And uh, you know, so Christians are thinking deeply about what's what's going wrong. Uh, there seems to be a missing center here. Um, and uh, we focus on our task here at Ave Maria Radio. We say, build the church and you'll bless the nation. Uh, other people have other phrases that they use to try to stay focused on what we're doing. My guest, Dr. Kerry Gress, has also proposed uh, a solution to a civilization in crisis. It's called the Marian Option. And Kerry has a doctorate from the Catholic University of America and the author of several books, including The Marian Option, God's Solution for a Civilization in Crisis. You can visit her at carriegress.com. That's G-R-E-S-S. Carrie, good to have you back. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me on today, Al. Well, I, I think you're the only person I have talked to on this program who has used the phrase Mary's geopolitical influence besides me. <laughs> I've used that phrase with Fatima especially, but I've never seen anybody else write it down or use wow. it. So That's great. Wow. Well, I think we're on to something, that's for I, sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Marian <laughs> option. Is this written in yes. response to the Benedict option or the David option or the Dominican option? Um, well, all of that. Uh, all of that. Um, I started looking into the Benedict option and... Um, when I started looking into it, I just was pretty unsatisfied with it, largely because I thought Benedict was a response to a certain time. Obviously, Rome was crumbling, mm -hmm. but you also had a lot of other realities going on, one of which was, was the ingrained paganism. Yeah. And so there were these cultural elements that, you, that Christianity was just not going to flourish in. That certainly, there could be converts. We know um, St. Benedict was one of them, or at least is part of the line of them, and plenty of martyrs. But as far as washing clean... Um, you know, Roman corruption and paganism. That's something I think we've kind of lost the sense of. And so I was intrigued by the Benedict option initially and thinking, well, maybe there, there is a, a correlation between our own situation. But the, the deeper I dug into it, I started seeing this pattern. And it's what you just mentioned, this geopolitical influence of Our Lady that just kept jumping out at me. And so all the things that we worry about, whether it's terrorism, um, protection, of our children, uh, all of these layers have all been dealt with dramatic in dramatic ways and beautiful ways by Our Lady throughout history. And so I, I throw out this wide net of looking at all of her different, the different ways that she's influenced um, politics and uh, all these elements, culture, and um, just pull them together in one book. And it, it just turned out to be this amazing picture that I don't think I've been able to find a book like it um, that, that I, really focuses on the big picture of, of what she's done and uh, doing. I don't think there is a book like it. I, I, think, I, I think this is one of a kind, so congratulations. <laughs> but no, I haven't seen <laughs> one you. like this. Yeah, I mean, no. Mary, <laughs> cultivator of culture, for instance, is a phrase I've never seen before. Uh, right, and I have a whole chapter on that that's just remarkable, looking at the role that she's played in culture. I think out of something, you know, roughly 140 of the most famous composers in history, I mean, like 117 of them all wrote works on Our Lady. 
And, you know, you just see this over and over again um, throughout Western history. So she's not just about, uh, you know, trying to get us. Obviously, she wants our salvation, but she wants us to have a life in abundance here on Earth as well. So it's this, this balance of, of um, get, you know, dealing with all the needs that we have as her children. And it's just an, a remarkable thing to look at them together, I think. What is the, what is the shorthand for a definition of the uh, Marian option? <laughs> the shorthand is basically go to Mary with anything, everything you've got, and um, and just get back to the rosary. I think is the, the easiest thing. Uh, it doesn't require moving. It doesn't require major changes in your life. I I think um, you know when we entrust ourselves to her, and I, there's a whole chapter on this. Um, she really goes to who we are as individuals, and she works out all of the, the issues. I think one of the things that, that's such a, a struggle in our world today is we've got our families that have all these different layers of struggle, whether it's drugs, divorce, abortion, all of these kinds of things. And she can just get in there and un, undo these knots. That's one of the reasons why I love that devotion to Our Lady that Pope Francis has really been promoting, because she can get in there and clean, clean things out in new ways. And she, she does that on a an individual level and familial level, but it also radiates out in, in other ways, in dramatic ways, um, to, to help really the whole world. Yeah, I think many many people may not realize the influence that she's had. You write about her as the most mm-hmm. powerful woman in the world. Right. And uh, right. I think sometimes when we think of uh, devotion, we're mm-hmm. often thinking in terms of our personal relationship or inculcating certain virtues in ourselves, we're not necessarily thinking of the Blessed Mother as somebody who's really, for lack of a better term, left a big footprint <laughs> all right, over the globe. Right. Why don't you give us a, just, a, again, a brief understanding of how powerful she's been. A rundown. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I think there are there's so many different layers of, of her influence. One of the most significant, of course, is that she has really, she, it, it was her and her influence that has given women uh, dignity and it, this came through christianity you don't find this in any of the other religions as far as women having an, an equal dignity and we know that that came from christ but as far as when it really became um, apparent in the culture you've got this whole realm of, of chivalry and where our lady is as an inspiration and where women can be seen in a new light and um you know one scholar writes you know they're not seen as um, as secondary, um, Aristotle calls women um, deformed males, right. and they're not they're not playthings either. But in fact, they can have this kind of dignity um, that is only afforded to us through this um, this this virgin um, use of the Virgin of Mary. Um, so that's one thing. And then if you if you want to look at, at um, Spain, is just is one of my favorite examples of the role of her her influence because mm-hmm. they they were under. Islamic occupation by the the Moors or the Saracens, depending which name you use, and for 800 years. And I, I think most of us don't know that. I knew I didn't realize that yeah. it, it had been that long. And it wasn't until devotion to her spiked and that army started fighting under her standard that that's when everything started coming together. I mean, it took a while, but um, that's really where how Islam was pushed out of Spain. And and you don't hear that a lot happening in. Um, a lot of countries. There are other countries where it's happened, but at the scale and the level that it happened in Spain is is quite significant. So, um, you know, it's these kinds of 
smaller things that that have um, had huge ramifications. And that's to say nothing of Our Lady of Guadalupe, you yeah. know, and somewhere between four and ten million converts that that created um, in Mexico. And anyway, it's um, it's pretty overwhelming when you see all of it together. I think many people who are striving for renewal of Christian civilization in America uh, see America as largely a Protestant country. And so mm-hmm. they often are not open to uh, Our mm-hmm. Lady of Guadalupe and uh, as the, she, the patroness sure. of uh, the Americas or America, sure. as uh, John mm-hmm. Paul II used in the singular. Um, what do you say mm-hmm. to them? Well, as far as, um, I mean, the, the biggest issue seems to be, of course, that there's this belief that, that we as Catholics worship Mary. And of course, uh, you know, I go through in the book very clearly mm-hmm. these different layers of, of um, veneration and worship. And, uh, you know, even comparing um, Protestants are open to the idea of, of uh, venerating or esteeming other Christians. I think St. Paul is probably one who who gets the most um, merit, it seems like, as far as um, talking points go. But um, there's this almost spiritual allergy to, to Mary. And yeah. I think it's really unfortunate because the, the fruit is there. And you know, we know in Scripture it says, judge a tree by its fruit. And, and if you look at really what she has done and, and the role that she has played, and, and I only looked at the, the fifth, or I, I think I only looked at nine apparitions, but there are 15 that have been approved by the Vatican and, in total. And I only use the ones that have been approved that mm-hmm. we know are authentic. Um, and it, it's just even looking at that very small sampling, but also um, the influence in, like I said, in art and culture, um, the, the fruit is just abundant mm, and, and overwhelming as far as what she's done. And Cardinal Newman, um, John Henry Newman, actually wrote very poignantly about how, you know, when you lose Mary as a Christian, you're not just losing your spiritual mother, but oftentimes you're losing your faith. And he he pointed to England and said, "Look at what happened. You know that when during the reform or during the." Um, that when Anglicanism came into mm-hmm. England, you had giant bonfires of um, images of the Madonna being burned right. and really an abandonment of, of Our Lady. And I think we can see that now as far as just the, the loss of faith and, and dramatic, um, you know, churches closing and, and what's happening in, in Britain. You mentioned there are 15 uh, apparitions approved by uh, the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. You also write here that there have been a reported 2,500 apparitions, <laughs> right. and that, in mm-hmm. some ways, that works against the authentic apparitions. That it, it, in, it in, dilutes... In what way? It dilutes the message or oh, raises, keeps people mm-hmm. preoccupied with moving yes. from one apparition to the next. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Is this one authentic? Mm-hmm. Is that? So you end up right. kind of making a survey... Uh, mm-hmm. And rather than receiving the message of any one particular one, you're you're kind of just tasting. Right. No, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I know in my own life, um, I I kind of got to a point where I finally just had to say, I, I don't want to read any more unapproved apparitions. I just want to focus on the basics and the nuts and bolts and what I know is solid. Because, you know, 2,000 years of Christianity, we've got plenty there to chew on and to really <laughs> go deep into and um, so that's what I—that was one of the reasons why I decided to not delve into these. But um, I, I'm sure you know well um, Michael O'Neill, the, the miracle hunter, yeah, is doing sure. a tremendous service for all of us as far as just chronicling these and making them easy to understand and 
and giving us an understanding of the different layers of what's approved and what's not. And, uh, you know, because obviously there's the local bishop approval and all, all these different layers that go into the, um, you know, finding out whether or not something is in fact valid. So it wouldn't, it's not surprising that plenty of them could in fact be valid. Right. But, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those things that's just a lot easier to stay on the, the, uh, the sure land and uh, delve into that instead of, risking, you know, delving into something that isn't meant for us. My guest, Dr. Kerry Gress, uh, is talking about the Marian Option. That's the name of the book, God's Solution to a Civilization in Crisis. We're going to continue conversation. Take a look at uh, Mary and the Trinity and what that tells us about relationships. We'll also continue to look at some of these apparitions that have had, uh, again, world-transforming effects, Our Lady of Fatima, this year and uh, the role that played in conquering communism. So all that's coming up in this next segment. I'm Al Cresta. This week at AveMariaRadio.net's Poll of the Week, we want to know what is your favorite Summer Olympic event? Let us know now by going to AveMariaRadio.net, scrolling down on the homepage and clicking Poll of the Week. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Carrie Gress. Uh, she's the author, most recently, of The Marian Option, and again, looking at God's solution to a civilization in crisis. And we've seen, in fact, we've talked a few times this year uh, with a variety of people uh, about Our Lady of Fatima and the role she played, uh, even in the relationship, as Paul Kengar from Grove City College points out, in the relationship between St. John Paul II and Ronald Reagan. Uh, how do you see Our Lady in the in the collapse of Soviet-style communism, Carrie? Gracious, <laughs> um, that's a big question. Um, I think this is one of those things that we're really we're just witnessing this. What it is that she is is doing in our age. I think, given that we still have over a billion people who are living under communism. Mm-hmm. It's a big question. What is she doing? But we know she's she's doing something. And um, I, I think um, th- this is really where and why the Marian option seems so crucial, because of the fact that we know the, the, the power of the rosary. We know that this is what she's asked us to do. And we know that history isn't fixed. That was the, my, my favorite message of John Paul II was his interpretation of his assassination attempt was just the fact that history isn't fixed that somehow she guided the hand that the hand or with her hand guided that bullet so that it didn't kill him. And, um, even though part of the secret of Fatima was that, that the man or the Bishop in white would, would be killed. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, yes, it, it can be feel pretty daunting and heavy given that what we're, we're seeing in the world today, but this is, she loves to, um, surprise us when things look darkest and um and that was that was one of the fun things to go through these different apparitions and see you know patterns of you know, she's always coming to the humble and um you know she's asking for a church to be built there's a there's a very clear pattern that she's she's expressing to us in these um in all of her messages and in, in just the way that she operates and so um, while I'm inclined to, you know, not be hopeful about it, I guess that's why researching a book like this 
has just really transformed my own sense of hope because of the fact that I know that she can do so much with really so little. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the personal devotion and her maternal care for us um, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. For those uh, now, for people who are raised Catholic, sometimes this can come with some some uh, naturalness. Those who sure. raised outside the Catholic Church, uh, this may seem the aspect of Catholicism which uh, is most alien and foreign to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Talk talk to us about coming into an appreciation for uh, Mary's maternal care. Well, I think the first element is is just to really recognize that she she was the Christ bearer. Christ came to us through her, and this was was not an accident. This isn't something. I mean, God could have done it any way He wanted to, and I I think that sets up a pattern then for understanding. This is how we can go back to Christ over and over again. She's always reiterating, "Go to my Son," and always pointing towards her Son. So once you get past that point where you are, are struggling with the fact that, that she's someone to be honored and respected, um, then when you can go to her, I think it, it gets to the point where just even the most tiniest level of saying, you know, look, Our Lady, this is hard for me. I want you to help me. She's a good mother. She's going to help you. And I, I guess that's one of the, the profound things about it. Sometimes we sort of make it a little bit too complicated um, theologically and trying mm-hmm. to work it out all in our minds. But in fact, we know that God operates like a family, and we know that she is, has been given to us as a spiritual mother, and she's going to meet us where we're at and, and give us what we need if we're, we're open to at least even asking for it. Yeah. And that's uh, the heart of it, I think. Yeah, I think, I think there, comes a, there is a danger in um, uh, trying to uh, make this too complicated. Uh, she, think, <laughs> right. she is a mother. I mean, think, think we all have right. mothers, right? I mean... <laughs> Right. So absolutely, yeah. No, and she's a perfect mother. She knows ex- exactly what we need, and and um, and that that was a fun part of the book too. Was just writing about these different saints and and how it is that she's. It, it, this is part of the Mary option. Is she knows what we need and what she needs out of us, and that relationship is really where civilization can grow, and where our gifts are going to be used in in ways that we can never even begin to imagine. Um, how fruitful they'll be because of the fact that she's helped leading us to what it is that she wants. So you could have someone very easily called to a Benedict option kind of retreat. You could have somebody called to, you know, a David option or Dominic option or Tolkien option or whatever, any other option. But at the heart of it is Mary is going to lead you to what it is that she wants because of her maternal care and just the, the, that one-on-one relationship that she has with with, she, with each of her children. Uh, in the 19th century, there was a, in America, there were books published, uh, anti-Catholic books published, making the claim that the Catholic Church was going to uh, declare Mary a member of the Trinity. I mean, completely, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard to believe, but I've seen them, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not the quadrant. What, what are you going to call that now? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I don't. But in truth, I don't hear much written about Mary's relationship to the Father. I do hear about Mary's relationship mm-hmm. to the Spirit, for instance, and of course, her relationship mm-hmm. to the Son. But I don't hear much about her relationship mm-hmm. to the Father. Can right. you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, I I did do a. There's a whole chapter on her relationship with the Trinity. And um, what, it's interesting to hear you say that because I 
had heard very little about her relationship with the, the Holy Spirit and, and a spousal relationship. That was something that really jumped off the page oh, at me when mm-hmm. I started researching this, was just how, um, you know, thinking about spouses, how they can speak for each other after all these years, that kind of thing, and how she becomes a, a, a physical manifestation in many respects of the, the immaterial spirit. Yeah. Um, that was yeah. one of the things that struck me the most. But um, certainly that, that father-daughter, um, per, you know, she's been created by God as this, this perfect human, and um, that, that relationship... And maybe it's because there's so much brokenness between fathers and daughters. Um, I lost my own father when I was quite young, so I always had this tight connection um, intellectually and and emotionally to to God the Father. But, um, you know, that element of her being his masterpiece, of her being, um, you know, the apple of his eye, I think is um, something that's just really worth meditating upon and and absorbing as far as if you know when we if we love God and we love the Trinity, we should love the gifts that He He gives us as well. And Mary is certainly, you know, one of the most remarkable. That's for sure. What about Mary uh, as mother of the Church? Uh, I've always thought this was, <laughs> this was completely fascinating because mm-hmm. it, it makes it makes tremendous sense. I mean, she transmits right. the Word of God to the world. Of course, right. that's the Church's mm-hmm. task as well. But go ahead. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that, and that's another remarkable piece, was just discovering how tightly connected the concept of church and Mary are united together. And um, I just found a, a book. It's not, I don't mention it in the Marian Option but um, because I just found it, but Albert the Great, a philosopher from the, the 12th century, um, sorry, 13th century, well, in the middle, um, he has written a book on um, called The Valiant Woman, and it's it's, it's talking about Mary as a woman, but it's talking about the church. And there, it's it's one of these remarkable books where you're reading through it and you can't tell, is he talking about Mary or is he talking about the church? Because the similarities are so dramatic. Hmm. And I pick on, on some of that already, um, that um, Hugh Rahner, um, sorry, Hugo Rahner, the, um, Carl Rahner's brother, mm-hmm. um, he's written a book on Our Lady and the Church. So it's just beautiful, sort of connecting the two. But just that idea that that all Mary was the church um, when Christ was in her womb. This that sense that she was there first. There's this maternal element that's there, and then expresses itself in the actual body of Christ on earth. It, it's the, the, the there's so much there that it's um, you know it's hard to even encapsulate it because of the fact that it's um, it, it, it's you know this double vision. You can see both. Um, at the same time, I think, in, in remarkable ways. But it's not brought up a lot anymore. So I think this is one of the things that would be great to really focus on more of um, that role that Mary plays in uh, modeling the Church and what the Church gives to us as Ma- our mother. Many people, when they think of the Church, they think of the the Pope uh, and the, the, right. the Sea of Peter. Uh, but mm-hmm. the whole Petru, as you write, the, this Petrine dimension of the Church presupposes that the Church is living out the Marian dimension. Absolutely, right. And without the Marian dimension, um, many theologians have made explicit that the Petrine is really going to limp because yeah. it doesn't have that complementarity, it doesn't have the balance, and it doesn't isn't nurturing the Church in the way that, and meaning the people of the Church, in the way that they're they're meant to to be. So there's a, there's all these levels of spiritual. And even just on a very practical level, um, I think that that is missing when you're missing that Marian element, which 
I think by and large has largely been lost. It's very rare that you hear people even talk about it. And so it's been fun to dig up and find new pieces. I found something in St. Bonaventure and Albert the Great and and all these remarkable saints that that talk about this dynamic um, in in beautiful and very fluid ways that we don't hear about anymore. Um, Back to the geopolitical influence of of Mary Mm -hmm. and (laughs) these key apparitions of Guadalupe, Lourdes, and Fatima. What were the geopolitical consequences of the uh, the apparition of uh, at Lourdes? Um, well, Lourdes is interesting because of the fact that you first how first of all you've got this history of Lourdes that's very tightly connected to Islam that I think very few people know. I know I, I know I didn't know anything hmm. about it, but um, in seventeen seven I'm sorry in seven um, seven hundred seventy eight. Charlemagne um, was fighting down in southern France, and there was an um, Islamic um, commander named Mirat, and he and his men were in this fortress, and they were they were stuck. Charlemagne's men had surrounded them, and they were just trying to starve them out because it, the fortress was impenetrable. And so, um, they, and Mirat had made a, um, a pledge that he would never surrender to a mortal man. And so Charlemagne and his men were waiting them out, and Finally, a, a bird drops a fish into the fortress, and Mira, to show that their food was still plentiful, threw the fish out towards the, the Charlemagne's men, hoping to indicate to them that they, they still had a long ways to go before they were starving, and that, that hopefully that Charlemagne and his men would leave. Well, the bishop said, realized that this was just a ruse, and so he had an idea. He went to Mira and said, look, I know you cannot surrender to any mortal man, but would you surrender to the Queen of Heaven. <laughs> and sure enough, Mirat realized that this was a way out of his pledge. He and all of his men ended up converting to Catholicism. And he took the name Loris, which is where the, the name Lourdes comes from. Fascinating. Um, so, yeah, it's remarkable. So the I, town itself is even built on that. Wow. Great. I hadn't heard that before. Uh, yeah. Carrie Gress is the author of The Marian Option, God's Solution to a Civilization in Crisis. Carrie, thanks for being with me today. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you.